Hello everyone, thank you for joining me on this podcast episode. Now before it starts, I just want to take one or two minutes to update you on something that's happened recently. Something that's made me feel sad, frustrated and angry. And not just me, everyone that's following this work when I recently announced this on my social media. YouTube have decided to demonetize my channel completely. I have appealed it, but this is their final decision. They deem my content and my videos to be unsuitable for their audience and unsafe for their viewers. Therefore, they're not going to show adverts on my videos and therefore they're not going to pay me for views like they pay all the other YouTube content creators and channels out there. Now, this is a massive thing because money is very important here. It helps me evolve and grow these platforms and extend the reach. It helps me make better quality content and also this is my full-time job so I need to make some kind of living out of it. Yes we are hugely frustrated at this but this is not the only setback that I've experienced through doing this work so I will continue forward. If you'd like to support this work and help me evolve these channels please do like, comment and share all the videos that you think are worth doing. For that and also if you'd like to donate to this cause please go to jeremyindicker.com you can donate there and at the very least I can start improving the production quality of this podcast to make it more appealing to more people you can also purchase the merchandise that we recently released go check that out something to say official.com there are four incredible designs done by Noria and it is exciting times for this project I hope you enjoy this podcast it's a phenomenal conversation I learned a lot from it and I hope you do too thank you hello everyone and welcome to another podcast episode here on this channel where we are investigating this topic in the different detail to help us understand more it's getting really exciting as I attract attention of guests that have something to say. Now today we have Mike Brewer who is an ex-police officer and he's going to tell you a little bit more about all of that as the conversation unfolds. I'm really excited for this one. I hope you enjoy it as much as I believe I'm going to enjoy it and we're going to get so much information about this and this is everything that we wanted to aim for. So hi Mike Brewer, thanks for agreeing to be on my podcast. Hi, thanks. Uh, thanks very much for inviting me. No problem, Mike. Um, could you spend a brief moment explaining who you are, what you do, and what you did for a career, please? Yeah, okay. So, uh, as I say, my name is Mike Brewer. I'm a retired detective sergeant. I spent uh, just over 30 years in the um, Avon and Somerset Constabulary. Um, and the vast majority of that time, I was involved in the criminal investigations arena, Um and for six years, from 2006 until 2012, I was actually in charge of the district's child abuse investigation team. Incredible. Incredible work. Probably so, so challenging, I can only imagine. Um, so it was, the, it was the last six years that you were specifically in the child abuse investigation team? Uh, not the last six years. I, in 2012, I moved on to something else, and I, I actually retired in 2015. Okay, amazing. How was that as a career? Brilliant. Really, okay. really, really rewarding. I mean, I, I'm the I'm the type of character who gets bored quite easily. Mm -hmm. um, and 
the police there's so many different avenues and things you can go down and I know it's a bit of a cliche but you go to work in the morning and you really don't know what's going to happen that day so it's um yeah really good really okay good. and that's For me it was perfect and that's such an optimistic way or an optimistic explanation that I kind of wasn't expecting because I was expecting, I would expect the ex-police officer to be like, it was challenging, it was exhausting, it was frustrating, but your response is quite different. It was all of those things, but I enjoy that. So, Mm. uh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, okay. So, So in the early part of your career, leading up to the child abuse investigation teamwork, was there any other bits of your career just so that I'm clear on that were there any other bits of your career that were to do with the safety of children um when when I very first joined the job um you you uh had to go away and do a, a project um and then come back and give a talk about it to uh to the your fellow students and um I chose to go and sp- spend some time working with the NSPCC mm. uh and that sort of always sat in in the back of my mind that the 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 work that they do and the 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 work that's done not necessarily using the enforcement arm of the police you know arresting offenders and and locking people up which is obviously very important but also the the almost a softer part of the police where you know you're trying to make sure you go because we go to a lot of situations we spend a lot of time in people's houses that other people don't get into so you know we're 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 able to see things going on and um you know, we, we may be the first um, point where we go into a house and, and see something with children involved, which doesn't sit comfortably. And it's important that we we're able to um, recognize that and, and report that back. Mm, phenomenal. And this is where I truly believe. Um, how do I how do I word this? It's like every time we talk about the police these days, we want to shoot them down mm. um, and complain that the service isn't great or they're useless or this type of attitude and I think it's really nice for us to see how what kind of job it actually is because that is not an easy job even just like what you're saying going into households where something has happened or something has happened which then when you visit the house makes you look at some other things that are going on around the within the household and it it's not a straightforward job no, no, no. I mean, you know, you 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 turn up for a job and you, you know you've been called to, called to a house for whatever reason. I don't know, maybe a burglary or whatever. And then you get there and you realise actually there's six children here and you know they're living in really bad situation. And wow. You know they're they're badly clothed. They they look hungry. You know. So yeah, wow. you get that, as a, going back to what I said earlier, you know, you you just don't know what you're going to deal with really. You you yeah. have to have a very open mind. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm not going to defend the police. Sometimes we get it very badly wrong, but but the vast majority of times we don't, and it is really difficult. You know. Okay, so yes, of course, everyone in every industry, um, every employee in every industry gets it wrong sometimes. Yeah. yeah. This is one of the points that I'm trying to make when I do my presentations, and people are so angry at, at the at the police section of my presentation. I'm like, yeah, of course, there's bad apples everywhere in every in every job in every industry there are people who are not pulling their weight or are maybe even corrupt themselves yeah but the vast majority of people are trying their hardest with the tasks that they're given for their job yeah i actually had and i can't i i don't hear of anyone else 
who speaks in this way about their police experience. But my experience with trying to prosecute the man that abused me when I was a child was was a good one in the sense that the police I could see were really trying to help. Were re- they, they are just as interested as me in getting people, abusers of children prosecuted. Yeah. Otherwise they wouldn't do that job. I remember when me and you first got in contact and we spoke, you mentioned about the child abuse investigation team. It's actually difficult to recruit people into that department. Was was I correct in saying that? It, it, it was. Um, when I when I went there in 2006, I'm, I, I'll be honest, I didn't want to go. I, mm. was, I was a DS in the mainstream CID dealing with uh, all the things that at that time I thought were Gucci and that, you know, your robberies yeah. and serious assaults, murders, etc. Um, but it was a, the, the role I was in was actually considered quite a, um, a privileged role and, and also a developmental role for other people. So I went for my annual career review in March of 2006. <clears throat> my, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> my detective chief inspector uh, said, uh, okay, so, you know, where's your career going? You've got nine years still to serve. Where's your career going? And I said, well, I'm, I'm happy to do what I'm doing. And he said, yeah, you're huh. not doing that for nine years. So there were a few options he, he gave me, um, and one of them was the child abuse investigation team, um, which I considered, well, at least it's still operational. You're still going to be arresting people and, and doing this sort of thing. So I said, I'll, I'll go for that. So in the September, I, I um, transferred across, and very, very quickly, um, I realized that it was the most important police work I'd ever done. Wow. And, I, and after a couple of months, where we were based, um, we actually weren't based in a police station because we used to have child victims um, come to be interviewed, etc. So, so that they weren't intimidated by going to a police station. It was actually just a house on mm. the state. Uh, so he came across to see me after after three months and uh, said, you know, how's it going? And I, and I think he, a bit like you were earlier, he was expecting me to say, oh, it's dreadful, I don't want to huh. do it. And I said, oh my God, this is really serious stuff. Huh. And I said, with the right detectives here, we could make a real impact. Um, and what happened then over the next couple of years actually was, because um, I was still in contact with my colleagues from the main CID office, and I would go back and tell, tell them, this is really good stuff. And over the next couple of years, I recruited <laughs> five or six of them onto my team. Good on uh, you. And, uh, and we had some really, really good results, some big successes. And and the, the thing with child abuse investigation teams as well, it's there's more than one way to measure success because yes, you lock up a bad person. That's great. And we did lock up a lot of bad people for a long time, but also just removing a child from a position of danger and getting them to safety. That's, that's an, another real um, benefit or, or you, you gain mm. pleasure from the fact that, mm. okay, we've, we've managed to make that child safe. That's, and so it was the most, I think I told you before, it's that, the most rewarding work I've I've ever done in the police. Wow! Um, and a lot of people sort of say to me, you know, how do you do it? And uh, it's it's odd because the only thing I can equate it to is um, almost like being a pediatrician, you know, a doctor. It's very sad that you're treating sick children, but actually you're able to do something about it. Right. And that's the way I was looking at it. Is yes, this is awful. What's happening? But I'm, I'm not just a passive observer of this. I can get in and get stuck in and make some make it better. Right. Try to make it better, and that's you know that's why I find it so rewarding. And that 
feeling of reward by either locking someone up, locking a criminal up so that they yeah. cannot commit the crime again, yeah. or getting a child out of that abusive situation. That feeling that that gives you overpowers the other side of the coin, right? Yeah. The challenge and the disheartening and the, the, all the rest of it, I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually very similar to what I do. You know, some people approach me and they say, you know, doesn't it get you down dealing with this topic every day? And I'm like, yes, but the the change that we're making through doing it, it just overpowers those those negative emotions. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, so in general, in the police force, is joining the child abuse investigation team something that people do avoid? Um, I think it's changed. I think it's changed. Certainly, um, by the time I, by 2012, people people wanted to go there. They were because <clears throat> the way it used to work was you'd you'd uh, do your you'd be in uniform. You'd say you wanted to go in and be a detective. You do your detective training, and then you get posted to a CID um, or wherever. Um, but by the end, by 2012, um, I think people were coming out of doing their training saying. Oh, I want to. Oh. I want to go to to Kate. That's that's mm. what I want to do. Um, but unfortunately, then um, because of um, austerity uh, and the cutbacks in the police, um, big changes were made. And um, for a time in Avon and Somerset Police, they did away with the specialist child abuse investigators. It was just dealt with by the main main off main CID office again. Okay. And that and at the time, you know, I considered that to be a mistake because mm. it's it's very specialist work. Um, and um, and I consider that a mistake. And actually, I think they've realised that was a mistake and are going back towards having specialist child abuse investigators now. Okay. And one of the reasons why the specialist um, level is required is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because one of the reasons is because you're dealing with children. So, you, you know, you're you're interacting with children, you're pulling them out of a situation that could even be their family home, and you're just trying to ensure the safety of children. Would that be one of the reasons why it was specialist? Well, I mean, there's there's several parts to it. There's there is that, but you're you're um, required to interview children, uh, and uh, there's there's a thing called achieving best evidence, ABA ABE interviewing children, um, and if that's done on a video, you video, and then that video is played as their evidence in chief at court. Wow. rather than them have to stand and give their evidence uh, in the witness box that um that interview is played as their evidence uh, and so that has to be done very carefully because you're not allowed to lead children uh, right down in any way uh and uh so that you have to be specially trained for that but also you have to deal very closely with social services the health authority um, schools etc etc so it's it's a little bit different than than your normal Mm. Yeah, everyday CID officer would do, right? And, and all, but also you you um, gain an understanding of, of of things because you know when you when you first go there, some of the things you hear you just you just think this can't be right. Wow. But after you after you've heard it, you know a few times, you and and you found actually it was right. <laughs> you think yeah yeah because it's very interesting. You know patterns with like for instance grooming and things like that. You the patterns you see. They repeat themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. and you think, yeah, I've seen this happen before. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so the the experience you gain, as much as the the additional training, just the experience. Just think, yeah, yeah I, I I know where this is going. So you it's see, just... you see, you see the common signs, or you see the traits in in children. Maybe even yeah. you can see when they're trying to protect um, 
the close family members who you're trying to get information on. And that, that must be such a skill to um, interview a child and not lead them on or not, or you have, you would have to ask the question in a certain way, I'm guessing. And the training on that is quite stringent. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not allowed to, um, to, to um, do one of these video interviews unless you pass the course um, because um because you're going to use it as evidence in chief, as I say, you can't lead lead a child, and it, and it'd be very easy to lead a child as well, you know. Yes. Um, uh, so you ask open questions. We used to uh, call it five WH, which is what, when, where, why, uh, how, um, and also use little TED. So your questions would be tell me, explain to me, describe for me, so okay. that they tell you in their own words. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's um. It's, interesting interesting uh, how do you log off at the end of your shift and return back to your normal life i just want to stay on the on on the the interviewing of children situation where you clock off in the evening you go home and all you're thinking about is that little girl or little boy that you interviewed that you know is in danger or you know has been through something horrific and they look so sad in their eyes, but they're being children and trying to downplay it or like that must be so crushing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it. I, one of the other things I, because I was in charge of that team, one of the things I had to deal with was all child deaths on, um, wow. on the district. Um, and the ones that were really, really difficult were suicides, children committing suicide. Hmm. And um, that made it very difficult for me at home to say no to my children. <laughs> it really did because, you know, you think, oh, my God. Because I, I actually I dealt with one where a, a young boy um, wanted a day off school because to, to do something with his hobby and his, his dad said, no, you can't. And the boy went upstairs and hung himself. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I had to deal with the, the, the parents. And I'm just looking at them thinking, how are you ever going to reconcile yourself? With wow. This? As I say, what I carried home was my children were spoiled. There's no doubt. And <laughs> I've found it almost impossible to say no because, you know, I, I was so concerned that that may be, a, you know, I mean, it wouldn't, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I understand how that could just start changing your personality entirely yeah. or changing your approach or your view yeah. of the world entirely. Yeah, yeah. Um. So maybe we could move to the criminals, the people that are actually carrying out this, this crime, I suppose people would be more willing to do the interviews with the children, they could get their head around that they could see how maybe that could slot into uh, who they are, that, that that could be a job that they could do possibly. But when it comes to interviewing criminals, investigating criminals, being um uh, there would be, I'm pretty sure there'd be processes and procedures for that as well. Yep. Um, maybe we could just cover this like we covered the interviewing of children, please. Um, so, yeah, we use a, a, a model um, to interview prisoners called the peace model, um, which basically breaking it down is before the interview, you prepare. So you know where what areas you want to talk about uh, and, you, and you have that a very clear um, plan in your head. Uh, then the when the interview starts, you explain, engage, and explain. So you you you're basically trying to get people to to talk to you. So you you tell them the process of what where the interview is going to go, um, 
and um, what sort of questions you're going to ask them uh, and make sure they understand the process because you're trying to put them at ease. Uh, and then you ask for their account. You know, you say, right, I want you to tell me everything that happened between seven o'clock and 10 o'clock on Wednesday evening, whatever. And then you, you, you let them go. You, you just let them go and talk like that. Don't interrupt. Um, but then the next part is um, the challenge. So then, you know, they, they've talked uninterrupted. And then you go back and you break it down into, into areas. And then you, if, if there are areas you need to go into more depth, you challenge. And then at the end of the interview, you, you go away and evaluate it and see what you know, evidence you've got or, or haven't. Uh, and then what else you need and how you're going to go about that. So that's the process we use. It's called the piece model. Um, okay. it's, it's really good. It's really, really, really good. Um, but the thing you've got to be is um, you, you, you almost have to be a sponge you, because they'll be looking at you. They'll be talking to you. They'll be judging you as well. And they're... One of the things I used to say to them is, I'm not judging you, my friend. Someone else's job is to judge you. I'm just here to get, um, get what happened. Okay. We put the facts, somebody else will judge you, not me. Um, because obviously, you know, the big thing you're, do, you're trying to do is get them to talk to you. If they say nothing, then, you know, that's much more difficult. Mm. Okay. So you, you have to, you, we, we talked about interviewing the children and how emotional that could be because you have feelings of feeling sorry for them or, you know, you're so horrified that they've been through an experience or are going through an experience and you just want to kind of save them. But this is going to give you the flip side feeling I'm going to imagine. You know, yeah. if you know that person is guilty or has been guilty in the past, this is their, this is uh, not their first offence or you can just tell you got a sense that, yeah, they have done all of these crimes you still got to remain neutral. I'm guessing. Yeah, you've got to you've got to resist the bias of your human nature coming into that interview. Yeah, because I mean, the very nature of what you're talking about, they're going to find it difficult to talk to a, a complete stranger about it anyway. Uh, if they think you're sat there judging them and talking down at them, they're not going to talk to you, uh, right. and that's what you want them to talk to you. You know, huh. I, I I used to. Uh, you know, say, say to my colleagues, we're almost trying to sell timeshare here, <laughs> you know, but the timeshare is in prison. So, you know, you've, you, you can't, you can't let them see disgust in your face or anything because, mm. you know, they're, they're like to climb up. So you've just got to be a sponge and wow. nod and yeah. Okay. Um, you know, regardless of how you're feeling inside, that's, yes. that's how you've got to come across. And there's a really interesting thing going back to the child interviews. Yes. Cause I did some work with, um, some very, um, uh, eminent um, child psychologists and they said with the child interviews children are really really uh, switched on they're far more switched on than we understand hmm. and uh, they said they'll be they'll be judging you they'll be looking at you when they're and they'll tell you something and they'll watch your reaction hmm. and if you look like you're just it's awful or whatever hmm. they, they may not tell you anymore because they think you can't handle this Right. So again, you've got to just be, you know, not shocked. You just go, oh, okay, okay, and let them keep talking. Um, and sometimes we had uh, interviews where the child wouldn't say too much, or they they, they give a disclosure, reasonable disclosure. But then um, four or five days later, um, they say, "I want to, I didn't tell you everything," oh. and that that used to cause us a few problems early on because defence barristers would try and say, well, why didn't they say that in the first place? But this psychologist said, 
they're testing you. They're seeing if you if you does does this person believe me? Mm. You know, because they've they've been told a lot. Nobody believe you. Nobody believe you. Mm. And they're looking to see does he believe me? And then when we go out and actually arrest the offender, they think, oh wow, he did believe me. Okay. Then they'll come back and open up to more. Okay. Um, and it, it, so it's re- the psychology of it is really really wow. interesting. Fascinating, fascinating, yeah. Mike. So with the offender, they're obviously well. Let let me ask you the question. You're dealing with different situations here because maybe you've got one that is admitting to what they've done and now it's a case of seeing at what level they're admitting their crime and then you've got the other person who's just out and out denying their crime and so you are you're trying to work differently with those two people as well yeah um because yeah as you say a lot of people will admit that try and minimize it oh they will that's yeah. a surprise for me. So can you just briefly talk about that? So uh, one case I can remember where um, it's, it, uh, it's pretty horrible stuff, but the the, uh, the, the offender was saying, you know, uh, I didn't actually put, put my penis in a vagina, but I put it by the entrance, but I didn't actually put it in huh. uh, because he saw that as a, a line too far to admit that. We knew he had because we had friends go to the app. Okay. But, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll try and minimise it. Mm. um so yeah it's yeah so we have offenders who will try to minimize their crime but in some way they're also admitting to a level of it right yeah yeah and you have some offenders i'm going to guess which are just out and out denying across the board yep and does that prove to be more of a challenge or equal of a challenge to the person that's minimizing um everyone's different really um because very often when they're if they're, if they're out and out denying there and you've got forensic evidence to to, <laughs> to show that you know they have committed that offense then that's that's quite easy whereas if they're minimizing that that can be mm. i mean they're admitting to an extent but it can be difficult to show the the extra um that they've done but which is why the the interview with the child is, is so important um and it's so important to um, you know, get as much out, get as much information out of the child as you can, um, because what you do, what you don't want to happen is, whilst the video is played for their evidence in chief, they can still be cross-examined, albeit they're in another room and it's done by video link, and the the barristers will take off their wigs and gowns and things like that to make it less intimidating. Okay. But so the more you can get out of the child for their evidence. In, in their video interview, the less they'll get cross-examined. So that's what you're trying to do. Okay. Is protect them as much as you can from the cross-examination. Do you ever, or did you ever experience offenders who showed remorse that you believed was genuine? <laughs> I think they, they, they show remorse, but I think it's more. Cause they got caught remorse. They're sorry, but they're sorry. They've been caught. They got caught. Mm, that's, that's that's the thing. It, I, yeah, it's not it's not true remorse, and they're sorry for what they've done. It's mm. sorry they've been caught. Mm. Yeah, and um, yeah, they wouldn't have any remorse if they hadn't been caught. They'd just continue committing the crime. I think so. What would you like to say to, um, or, or in your experience, your career, um, any any things? that any like not highlights but important points of how society deal with this or how the police force deal with this or 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 any things that come to mind that 
you kind of learned from your career? I, I think one of the big things I think personally is that people don't like to think it happens. <laughs> they really don't like to th think it happens. Um, and uh, I've been talking recently to, to uh, uh, another um, survivor and, and we're almost able to talk like, a bit like I am with you really at a different level mm. because you, I haven't experienced it, but I know it happens when mm. you experience it. And, uh, you know, we, we almost have that nice shiny veneer of society stripped away. We actually know what it's like underneath. Um, mm. But I think for the majority of people, they, they don't like that. They, you know, they want to believe that everything is lovely and, uh, and, and that this nasty murky world doesn't exist. Mm. Um, and it's difficult for them. And that, that's a, that's a challenge. Uh, for for um, juries, you know, in a, in a crime oh. court, um, you know, they 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 hear some things which is so far, you know, they're just people off the street that they're hearing things which is so far out of their area of normality. It's it's a challenge for them sometimes to uh, to think that actually, yeah, this does happen. It did yeah. happen. Yeah. Do you do you think the crime is increasing in modern day? No. No. I mean, obviously, the, the internet stuff is, is a new phenomenon, uh, so that didn't exist. But, um, no, ch children have always been abused, always. Do you think uh, children have been abused for thousands of years? Yeah. Even yeah. in, like, the Greek times, for an example? You reckon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah very much. Um, and what... It's always... If it's always been happening like that, because that's a question I've been asking myself for some time. So police have always had to deal with this crime. Well, no, I, th I think we're having to deal with it more, but I think that's because um, it's easier to report now. You know, right. I, um, you know I, I know of people who I've talked to who were abused in the 30s and 40s. Right. Very old people now. But, you know, they, they'll say, well, he was not going to tell. Nobody was going <laughs> to believe me. You know, he was... He was this position of authority or, you know, this, he was a pillar of society. Everybody looked up to him and that. nobody was going to believe me. And, wow. and one of the things, one of the real tragedies is that um, children, sometimes, sometimes children who are, are being abused become what's seen as problem children. You know, they, they have problems at school, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so then even more, who's going to believe them? Yes. You know, they are, oh, they're always in trouble at school. They're this, they're that. Yes. I mean, you know, I've, I've been to several houses and arrested um, the, the father or stepfather, whatever. And, um, you know, the, the mother or stepmother has said, oh, she's always making stuff up. Wow. You know? Wow. Um, yeah. Can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. Uh, can we talk a little bit about court? And, yeah. Um, that's a, definitely a, a challenging time for um, the person who is on, let's say, the receiving end of the court situation, the person who's trying to prosecute the person that abused them. Um, so we're talking adults here, I suppose. Um, that's that's pretty horrific situation for many. I'm pretty sure that some get to the court day and actually don't want to do it in the end, but that doesn't matter. Maybe that happens. Maybe that doesn't. I'm not sure. Um, but I know it's a long, drawn out process uh, for people to get prosecutions. Mm. Uh, what what's it like in general in the courtroom? Um, I think 
if if you've got as far as the courtroom, actually it's you you're over the biggest hurdle. Okay. Uh, the biggest hurdle um, we used to find really was getting it a, dis, a charging decision past the Crown Prosecution Service. Yes. Um, because they have two criteria that it's got to set, satisfy before they'll they'll um, allow you to charge. The first is the um, the evidential test. Is there sufficient evidence to provide a realistic prospect of conviction? Um, and if that is a yes, then they go to the public interest test. Is this in the public interest? Um, the vast majority of cases we would deal with, uh, if they pass the evidential test, it would be in the public interest. Um, very rarely would they say no, it's not. And, and that's because there's a there's a criminal involved in this. Yeah. yeah. Who's still alive and still out there. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, very occasionally they may say, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, yes. uh, if somebody was terminally ill and had three weeks to live, they might say, well, it's not in the public interest to you know run a prosecution on this. What are we going to achieve? Right. Uh, so and I'm using a, that, a, a very extreme thing there for why they might say it's not in the public interest. But the main thing is the evidential test. Um, and of course, in a crown court, uh, you've got to uh, to get to the burden of proof, if you will, is very high. It's you know it's, it's beyond um, all reasonable doubt that this is mm. this is the case. And I used to say this to to a lot of um, people, um, both in children and but also adults. You know, the, the mere fact that somebody gets found not guilty does not mean that people didn't believe you. They right. just couldn't be sure. Right. So that's the thing. You know, they, you've got to be sure because. You know, if you're going to send somebody to prison for 12 years, you need to be sure that they're guilty, you know, and that's right. Uh, so, um, you know, but as I say, I used to say to people after, you know, if we'd had a, a case and the person had been acquitted, and they'd be saying, nobody believed me. I said, no, no, it's not that they didn't believe you. It's not the case. But they had to be, you know, sure. And they couldn't quite be sure because of this or that or something else. Um, so, yeah, it's a high burden of, of proof um, to get to get past and we want the system to be like that it, it's right it's right that. because um you know as i say you know if you want to send somebody to prison for 12 years it's a bit a big thing yes absolutely um but so that's why <clears throat> that's why the investigation and the thoroughness of the investigation is so important mm. you know because um yeah i look back on cases uh, which um i I thought we we should we should convict that and and we didn't and and perhaps there are lessons we could have learned we could have done something more okay. could have done something different um, so yeah but I mean the in fairness the police are very good at learning the lessons very good um, you know as I say we don't we don't always get it right um, but um, we will always look back and say what did, you know what went wrong there and what can we learn for the future. What would your words be to anyone that is angry with the police about a prosecution attempt that the police couldn't help them make successful? Um, well, first thing I first thing I'll say is I, I understand your anger, really. Mm. Um, but the the police are part of the criminal justice system, you know, and I've I've seen colleagues of mine, yeah absolutely tearing their hair out, frustrated because they couldn't get, and you know, the, it, it's not that the police normally don't want to, if the police do, it's, it's the criminal justice system that is is 
um, making it difficult. Right. Um, but you know, we need to accept we're the police, we're the we're the face that the public see. <laughs> we're the you know, so it's going to be us that people get angry with. And yes. you got, you've got to understand that when you when you when you join that you you sign up to that. So mm. because you know, pe people understandably, quite understandably, are angry, and they need somebody. You know, yes. you, you yes. can't. It's difficult to be angry to a, a system. Yes. If you've got a face, you can be angry at that person. Yes. So, yeah, I understand. So what is the kind of thing that makes strong evidence? Let's take my case, for example, which is historic. It happened 25 years ago. Um, what would the police be looking for for a case like from those from that era um, for it to be strong? What, what, <clears throat> what you would look at? I mean, I... I I didn't mention it earlier, but I, I went down to the Falkland Islands and led a an historic child abuse investigation down there. And uh, what you're looking for is corroboration, because as I said, as we were saying earlier, you know, the jury got to be sure. Um, so we'll we'll get your evidence, what you say happened, and then we'll try and build a case around that. So, for instance, uh, I'm not using your case, but the person says that I used to to go to scouts every Thursday and the guy used to give me a lift home on his own. Yes. So we'd go and find other people who were at the scouting and say, do you remember this? Did, did he used to give him a lift home? Okay. So he got a little bit of problem. Yes, he did. Um, and the, the boy may say, you know, whenever I got home, I was always upset. So we'd go to his parents and say, when he used to get back, do you remember he was always upset? So you're, okay. you're looking to corroborate, you know, the, 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 the story that you've taken from the victim, mm. pick up on bits around it. Um, and just things like that, really. Mm. Uh, you know, each case is different what you can find, but that going back again to the, the, the interview with the, the victim is so important because what you're looking for is stuff which they may think is irrelevant, but actually we can corroborate that. You know, if he, you know, he is, oh, he always had a blue car or whatever. You can go back and check. Did, did he have a blue yes. car? Is that right? You know, you're always looking to, to build corroboration around um, what, the, what the person is telling you. Okay, so 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 for an investigation of one case must be so expensive. Um, it can be, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess working in the public sector, we were a little bit lucky that you know it didn't come. Didn't, we didn't think, oh, we're spending a lot of time on this, and it's not worth it because it was. You know, if if it was a job, it was it was worth it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it can be. It can be really expensive. Yeah, maybe I should have worded that as so much goes into. Oh, yeah. investigating one case yeah therefore obviously subsequently there's a lot of time time spent on it which is where we see the money part of the conversation come into it but yes a lot goes into just one mm. to investigating oh, one case massive yeah yeah um and a lot of uh you know the, the detective will be you know emotionally involved in it you know yeah he, he's determined you know you're he sees you and, and takes your account and then you're 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 determined to do the best for you you know mm. and uh and that's if if you can't that's that's quite difficult as well you know if you have to go back and say well we can't prosecute because of this this and this i mean and i don't know enough about your case mm -hmm. but uh you know it, it's it's not not nice yeah not nice. and 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 when when the officer who's been investigating that case let's say for a year gets told actually it didn't get accepted by the cps we've got to drop it that's obviously gut-wrenching for the person who went through the experience but for the police officer as well yeah that is. 
Yeah, it is. Um, and I mean, very often we we'd appeal the decision. Yes. Um, or we'd. So I mean, sometimes the, the CPS will come back and they'll say, right, we can't prosecute because of this, this, and this. So you can then go away and say, right, we'll we'll do this to, to cover that. We'll do that to cover that, um, and, and then go back to them again. Okay. Um, but uh, you know. The crime prosecution service are massively under-resourced. That's <laughs> that's the big problem. They're massively wow. under-resourced. I mean, the time it takes to get uh, a case, you know, to get a case reviewed, is just just ridiculous. Wow. Um, and the frustration from society for that is that in all that time that things are being delayed for a decision, that criminal is still out there potentially com- continuing to commit the crime. So there are a lot of frustrations from society's side, which is understandable, but it's nice to actually speak to somebody who's been in it and that to see actually that this takes a lot of hard work and an investment of, of you as a person to investigate these crimes. Yeah. Yeah. And and what would you like to say to police officers that do whose morale is down, who, who work in these departments? Um, just stay in the fight, really (laughs) stay in the fight. Um, you know, I, I loved my career. I really enjoyed it, but there were days mm. on great, you know, and you, yes. you, you put a lot of time and effort into a job and the, the CPS come back and say, no, we're not going to prosecute it. Um, but just stay in the fight because yeah. tomorrow's another day. Yes. Um, yeah. And the, and the mission is so great. The mission yeah. is so pure. Yeah. And, and I, I, I used to say about social workers actually as well that um you know because they get a lot of stick yes uh, around this area but i used to say nobody joined the social services to do a bad job you yes know? they joined because they wanted to make a difference their their um their difficulties come with uh, lack of resourcing yes uh, lack of time etc mm. you know nobody nobody thought oh, do you know i'm going to be a social worker <laughs> i'm going to be a police officer because i want to do a really <laughs> rubbish job yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. Happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I'd like to say even that nobody goes into those jobs thinking, oh, it's just a job. I've got to find something. It's like they really want to try to get in there and do a good job and make some change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very difficult when it comes to children and this this um, this um subject of uh, child sexual abuse in particular. Did yeah. you ever have to watch videos or content that had been created by the criminal? Yeah. You did, and... I mean, my goodness, that must have been one of the most difficult things because that is going to mentally scar you as well because it's already an uncomfortable topic just to talk about it. But to actually see it happen in video format, I mean, how was that? Um, we used to try and do it in a very controlled way, really, because um, we, with um, child abuse images on the internet, etc., we. They get graded, mm. um, and uh, on just how bad they are, you know, from from bad to yeah. to awful. Okay, uh, and the officer in the case has to to go through and, and do that, and grade them, um, and then present his findings to the court. So, but we used to do it in a very controlled way. So um, he'd go into a room on his own, nobody else there, because we had a you know team of eight DCs and you know. And, you all don't need to see it, you know. So almost one person would go off with his case and, and go and do it on their own. It's it's, uh, it's not nice. Wow. Nice. 
Is it shown in court? No, no. They 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 take the word of the officer. The jury certainly won't see it. They take the word of the officer. I mean, if the defence wanted to say, for instance, the, the officer said this is a category C, uh, and the defence were disputing that, they might sit with the judge and say, "Well, we don't agree with this," but etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's very rare. They normally they normally take the uh, the findings of the officer. Okay, so. These are graded using letters. Yeah. Well, they were back. You know, uh, yeah. Okay. A few years ago, they may have changed, but yeah. Okay. Were. So we'll, let's let's take what you what was going on when you were in work. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it from A? Yeah. A being the. A just. Uh, a would be a picture of a naked child. Okay. Uh, and then it goes up to. I think it was E, which would be a rape of a child. Wow. So you got right. So I, I just want to make this point because I am wanting in my work to back the police and encourage the police and get everybody to realize that, you know, you try doing that job, right? Mm-hmm. So you've just watched a video category E that is going to affect you um, for your life, not yeah. just that, but it's going to affect you mentally. How, what the police must have systems in place to support you workers while you're doing this job? Yeah. What does that look like? Avon and Somerset were really, really good. Really good. Um, because they offered us counselling uh, to go to see counsellors. But of course, we're all macho and nobody went. And also <laughs> there's a stigma. I don't need it. I don't need it. <laughs> so what they did, and I think it was just brilliant, is, is they made it a lawful order. Wow. You will go for counselling every three months. Wow. That, that's an order. So what that did was remove the stigma. You know, mm. somebody is saying, oh, I'm, I'm struggling a bit here, is you could, you could say to your mates, oh, I've got to go off to counselling again. And then when you got to the counselling, you could go, it was really, really good. I thought, I think that was so clever and forward thinking. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Because yeah. to take care of the workforce that are doing this type of work is essential because then they can do, continue to do their job. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they also, at time, at one time, they had a, a tenure. Uh, so you were only allowed to do it for three years. Oh, you had to come off, um, which was good in some ways, but also you lost a lot of expertise. And yes, that would be, that was my first thought. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, they, they, it was almost a very blunt instrument to, to address the problems. We'll only let them do it for three years, and then we'll take them off. Um, but as I say, what that did was you lost a lot of expertise mm. and um, experience. So they stopped doing that they stopped the tenure and uh, as i say i did for six years but what they did do was make mandatory counselor they had to go for counselor yes. and obviously the counselor if if the counselor picked up on anything and thought oh this person's really struggling they would report back to your bosses and say you know he needs to come off okay yeah, yeah. so everything's monitored closely mm-hmm. yeah yeah i talk on my channels um not a lot because i get a lot of backlash from it but I want to continue talking about it, about actually preventing this from happening, preventing the crime from happening in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, we we are, from my experience um, and being in these circles now for four and a half years, there is so much out there about education um, within children, education in schools, education in homes, open conversations, body awareness, consent, private areas, all of that. And, and those conversations are flowing um, I, I see a lot of them. 
and I like that. I think it's a fantastic thing. I'm pretty sure that wasn't happening 30 years ago. It definitely wasn't happening when I was at school. We had no education about things like that. So what a great move forward, something we should feel optimistic about. But a bigger part of the puzzle is the person who's committing the crime. Because yeah. if we can get them to stop doing that, we don't need to rely on children to protect themselves, essentially, uh, by teaching them about their body, etc. So, you know, if we go upstream from the education of children, we come to the criminals. Do you believe um, that we can have some success at some point in the future with stopping these criminals from committing the crime in the first place? Um, I think we could. Uh, there's a, I don't know if you've heard of the Lucy Faithful Foundation. Yes. Um, you know, they work with offenders, but also pe people can contact them if they think they're going to start. Mm. Uh, so there needs to be some more work around that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good work done around safeguarding with like, um, say for instance, a, a rugby club or a football club, cricket club, where they've got safeguarding policies where people don't, people don't, um, do one-to-one -one stuff with the children. You know, they, they, you know, they can't take a child to a, a game on their own. They shouldn't. Uh, so th there's lots of good work has gone on, but I mean, it's, it's, the problem is with that is that whatever you put in place, um, a predatory pedophile, they're very, very resourceful and mm. manipulative and they'll try and, or they're always trying to find a way around. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you've always got to be alert to it. I think, I think, I think the biggest way to, to prevent it is, is for what, I mean, I really like what you're doing is, is to make it, make it out there and people mm. talk about it. Mm. Because uh, you know it's it's really difficult. You, you know somebody's uh, a really good football coach, for instance, or whatever. But he's, he always goes in the change rooms with the boys huh. afterwards. You know, yeah. yeah. But I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's yeah. fine. It's really difficult. Um, so I, th I think that's the thing is is to raise awareness of it and and to to make it okay to talk about it. Yes, that's the big thing. Make it okay yes. to talk about it and yes. and raise your concerns um, and have report reporting channels. You know. I'm, I'm, concerned about this but i don't know who to tell or where to go you know if, if you can make that better um, yeah i think that's really really important so um, everyone would know where to go you know what hmm. do i I've, I've seen something that looks a bit suspicious i don't feel very good about a certain someone who can i go and talk to yeah like that should be common knowledge right yeah and for the young people if they feel like they're being groomed or they are in a situation that is they need to get out of that's dangerous that they know exactly who they can go to but not just one person a number of channels yeah 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 um, um but i mean because I, I do a little bit of training um, with the charity and uh, the big thing that i try and get across to, to new people joining the charity is a don't don't try and investigate yourself tell the safeguarding lead because, and, um, you know, if you're uncomfortable with something, tell this person and then it can be looked into and it may be, mm. it may be okay. Maybe yeah. okay. you're not saying this person's a bad enough, but you're, all you're saying is, it's just something I'm a bit uncomfortable with. Do you think yeah. this is right? Um, and it can get looked at, looked at by somebody who with more experienced yes. than, than, than you, you know, don't carry the monkey on your shoulder. Give, yes. it, to, give it to an expert to look at. Yes, um, I agree. So, I agree.
Okay, Mike, um, time flies. Hey, it's five two already. So let's close it up here. I just appreciate you coming and speaking um, so openly as well. Uh, I don't think um, many people would be up for that. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, we all, everyone watching or listening, also appreciate the work that you've done throughout your life and how many people you've probably, uh, how many people you've put in prison, convicted, but also how many children you've saved. Uh, that must be a phenomenal feeling. All power to you. Um, to any of any police people who are, uh, or anybody involved in the police force that's watching, I hope you got some kind of lift out of um, our conversation today. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave my audience with? Anything at all? Um. That put you right on the spot, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I, I, know, I thought it would as I asked you it. Yeah. Anything? Anything? Um, let me let me re, let me reword it. Is there anything you'd like to say about what you've experienced throughout your working career and how possibly we can move forward as a society? Um, well, what what I've what I've always thought was that um, paedophiles like to work in the shadows and like secrecy and like people not talking so i always used to say let's open the lid and let the light the purifying mm. light flood in so you know don't don't let people keep secrets mm. if, if you're worried about something say something to somebody um Incredible. and because you know if, if pedophiles like secrets they they they, they don't like people talking and, and sharing information so um yeah if, if there's anything that concerns concerns you tell someone tell someone that is going to be able to do something about it incredible mike thank you so much before we close off is there anything you'd like to promote um i know you're not like running your own thing or but is there anything you'd like to promote before yeah. we finish no, we've mentioned about Lucy, Lucy Faithful Foundation. Yeah. Um, if you are interested in this conversation, do go check them out. Just Google Lucy Faithful Foundation. They are uh, a charity working with offenders and they are doing very interesting and incredible work. So Mike, thank you so, so much. Thank you for approaching me on social media. I really appreciate it. And let's stay in contact and have more of these conversations. Brilliant. Thank you so much for getting to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm not sure whether you know, but due to my recent demonetization on YouTube, it means YouTube is not going to spread my work like it would any other channel, including my podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, if you are listening to this on your podcast app. So please do hit the like button, do leave a comment, even if it's just an emoji thumbs up, because that does help the algorithm and helps me try to get this work in front of new people. I cannot do this alone. This has to be a team effort and we're all here on the same mission to break this silence and get children better protected. Thank you.